Alright, well, today we're starting this new book, Ecclesiastes, and I'll tell you what, I'm excited and a bit intimidated. I think this is probably one of the most challenging books uh, that I've committed to preaching through. Uh, even Martin Luther and many theologians have said this is a difficult book, this is a challenging book, and there's uh, various interpretations on different aspects of it. Um, but I think it'll be good for us for various reasons, as we saw in the video. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll mention some of these here. But I'd like to begin this time in Ecclesiastes by asking you a question that Ecclesiastes presents before us. Ecclesiastes drives us to this big question. Does your life really matter? Does your life really matter? Because when you read Ecclesiastes on the surface, you might come to the conclusion, if you're not careful, that it doesn't matter. That it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't have any purpose. Yet, I think that there's so much more that the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us. Okay? Um, Ecclesiastes is there, I think, for a couple different reasons. One, and here's some ways I think that it equips us for life and for ministry. First, it helps strengthen our biblical worldview. It helps us get perspective of this world that we live in under the sun, what the world is really like. Okay? It strengthens our biblical worldview, a world that is post-Genesis 3, a, a world that experiences uh, cars, radiators blowing up on the side of the highway, cars wrecking, pandemics. Wildfires, okay, political turmoil, social turmoil, the world that we live in today. And it is very relevant for us. As we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we get a reality check. For anybody who sees life through rose-colored glasses and is living with a naive optimism about their life, the book of Ecclesiastes has a way of popping that youthful, naive bubble in which we see life through and giving us a dose of realism, which we all need. Yet it doesn't leave us with utter despair, and it doesn't leave us with no meaning at all. It does point us to fear God, to enjoy God, and it helps us, it helps us recognize and face humanity's dilemmas. You see, because we live in a fallen world, a post-Genesis 3 world, it helps us recognize that things are not the way they're supposed to be. This good world that God created in Genesis 1, something went wrong. God created everything good. He saw that it was good. And, and the, the, our biblical worldview helps explain what went wrong. Why is the world like this? Why, why do people get cancer? Why do people get in car crashes? Why? why, why? It, it's puzzling and perplexing to us. And, and, and the Bible doesn't give us all the answers in detail, but it does explain to us some basic history and how to see the world. Namely, that there's a good God who created the world, and there is a humanity who has rejected God's good design and brought catastrophe and corruption into the world. Okay? And so the book of Ecclesiastes helps us recognize and face the, the humanity's dilemmas. It helps us 
that helps fuel our worship of an our all-wise, sovereign creator. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes presents God as the all-wise one, as the sovereign one, as the creator that we are to remember. It teaches us to fear God. It teaches us to find contentment in God. It teaches us to enjoy the gifts of God. Actually, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, laced throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the author commends finding enjoyment in your work and in the simple gifts of food and, 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 and enjoying the, the, the gifts of work and food that God has provided for you, relationships that God has provided for you. Another thing that it does is it enhances our appreciation for the hope of the gospel. Now, this book is written as a post-Genesis 3 book, expounding on the post-Genesis 3 world in which we live, where things don't always happen as we think they should. And, 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 we, make, and we struggle to make sense of it. Yet, this book is also written pre-New Covenant, pre-Christ pre coming onto the earth and bringing the kingdom. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. And... Lastly, is it gives us wisdom for relating to and reaching others. You see, everybody's going through, there's always somebody going through a hard time in life. There's always somebody who's experiencing the perplexing, painful realities of life, of the monotony of life, of the, the pains of life, of losing someone or losing possessions or someone close to them. And, and, and this book helps us to have empathy and sympathy towards those going through that. And it helps those of us who are going through it kind of wrestle with the reality that life is hard and we don't always understand what's going on. Okay? And so we believe here at City Church that all Scripture is inspired by God. Every bit of it, every book, every 66 books of the Bible, every one of them is inspired by God and it's profitable for us. It's useful, it's helpful, so that the man and woman of God might be fully equipped for every good work. This book will help equip us, I believe, to face the season that we've been walking through with honesty. And the other option is we can close our eyes and pretend like everything is not okay. Don't pay any attention to the news and the wildfires that are going on in California or everything else that's going on in the world. Just close your eyes and pretend it's not happening. We can address it. We can, we can, we can choose to address the problems of this Genesis, post-Genesis 3 world by escapism. Or we can embrace it as uh, with realism that the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us to approach this life with. Amen? And so we are going... To jump in here, um, what is the meaning of life? Does your life really matter? What is your purpose in life? You know, one of the questions I like to ask when I'm engaging folks uh, in evangelism is, what's the meaning of life? When I'm at Starbucks and I ask the barista, hey, they're working real fast and they're, you know, they're serving coffee and they're, or a waitress or a waiter at a restaurant. I like to just, just kind of pause for a second and just ask that question. What's the meaning of life? Many folks, many folks don't slow down to even think about it. They just work, 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 school, work, changing diapers, doing dishes, life, just busyness of life, and they don't think about it. And others do think about it and think about it a lot, and it's, it's a painful, challenging question to face for them. 
Okay? And so we're going to face that question in this book. It's going to present us with some challenges that, that, that we may not have clear answers to. But he does point us to trust in God with these things. Okay? Um, let's dig in here. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around, around the wind goes. Around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run, into the, run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the latter things. Yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Take note of that, or under heaven. Uh, it, is, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were of over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know the madness and folly. And to know madness and folly, I perceive there is, that this is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And all God's people said, amen. some of y'all struggle to say amen to that. Amen. Don't you feel encouraged this morning? Aren't you glad you came for an uplifting word from the book of Ecclesiastes? Yeah, it's there in your Bible, and many of us are unfamiliar with it, or don't know too much about it, don't know what to do with it. I, I would admit it's not my go-to book in the Bible for my devotions in the morning, for encouragement, okay? But it's there written as a wisdom literature. It's among Proverbs and Job uh, as, as wisdom literature, a book that imparts us wisdom that we need for living life here and viewing life here. Uh, somebody said that, this book sounds like it was written on a Monday morning by a philosophy professor who hadn't had his coffee yet. Okay? Uh, it is a disturbing book in some ways. It's a challenging book. It's a hard book. But it helps us face some of the, the biggest questions that we have and the perplexities that we have in this life. 
The big idea that we're going to focus on this morning is that life is perplexing, painful, and frustrating. And without God, it has no meaning. Life is perplexing, painful, and frustrating. And without God, it has no meaning. Somebody says that uh, we... A lot of folks, a lot of theologians believe that Solomon wrote this. Some, some disagree. Um, but one of the reasons why uh, we, we believe that Solomon wrote this is because it fits the description. This was a guy who had experienced much wisdom. We prayed for it. First Kings 3, right? God gave him wisdom. He had great wealth. Okay? Uh, this is describing a, a king, the uh, son of David, a king in Jerusalem. Uh, some... Some believe that it was written towards the end of his life. Um, other, and, and, and some would say that, that Proverbs was probably written during his midlife and then uh, Songs of Solomon early on in his life as the romantic uh, drive was, was there even more so. Um, this is a book that is read by the Jews annually during a, a celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time where they celebrate God's bounty and blessing. Okay? And you'll see as you read through this book, you'll see this commending of the bounty and blessing uh, that we have from our, our God and Creator. Uh, this book has um, been said that life is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> like a box of chocolate, you never know what you're going to get. Forrest Gump said that. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks have, have their own perspective on, on what life is like, right? Many, many of us see it very optimistically. Many see it cynically, uh, pe- pessimistically. We see it in a negative way. And this book gives us a reality check of it. Um, uh, and Eugene Peterson describes the, the book of Ecclesiastes as this. He says, Ecclesiastes is a John the Baptist kind of book. It functions not as a meal, but as a bath. It's not nourishment, it's cleansing. It is repentance, it is purging. We read Ecclesiastes to get scrubbed clean from illusion and sentiment, from ideas that are, are, are idolatrous and feelings of cloy. It is an exposed and rejection of every arrogant, an ignorant expectation that we can live our life, that we can live lives, our lives, by ourselves on our own terms. Ecclesiastes challenges the naive optimism that sets a goal that appeals to us and then goes after it with gusto, expecting the result to be a good life. This is a challenging book. So at the very beginning, uh, Solomon explains kind of where he's going. He uses this this phrase. He, he makes a statement. Vanity of vanities. Hevel. Hevel. Okay? This word can be translated a couple different ways. Uh, the, 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 the Hebrew word hevel can be translated as meaningless or vanity vain or futility, worthlessness, um, Something with no substance. Kids, think about like a bubble, okay? Blowing bubbles and trying to grab a bubble. Hevel is what's left over when you pop the bubble, okay? Something with no substance. It's it's gone. It's it's fleeting, okay? 
The Bible teaches us this in other places as well, that this life here is fleeting. It's fleeting. It's, it's short. It's, it's a vapor. It's like uh, uh, Eugene Peterson translates the word smoke in the message. It's like smoke trying to, to grab smoke. And then when you think you got it, it's gone, right? And so, so the, the preacher the, or the philosophy teacher, the, the, the quibblet, um, is explaining the vanity of life under the sun. So take note of that phrase, vanity of vanities, that we will see numerous times throughout this book. Um, and then take note of this, this phrase, under the sun. Okay? Because this gives us some insight. This gives us some insight as to where Solomon is going, what he's doing, his exposition here. Okay? He, he, he uses this phrase, under the sun, and he explores what life is like under the sun. He uses it 29 times in this book. Okay? And it's described, it describes life is here on earth. Warren Wiersbe says that it defines the outlook of the writer... As he looks at life from a human perspective. Excuse me here. It defines the outlook of the writer as he looks at life from a human perspective and not necessarily from heaven's point of view. It is only as man takes an account. This is uh, G. Campbell Morgan. It is only as a man takes an account of what, of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. It's only as a man takes an account of the things that are under the sun, oh, as well as the things um, over the sun, that we can see things in their true light. So my first point here this morning is that life under the sun, Solomon observes it as something that is futile and fleeing. All is vanity, the preacher says. And he asks the question, what does man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? What does man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? All is vanity. It's like striving after the wind, trying to, to catch the wind. Okay? Now this... This might be discouraging when you first look at this. And it, he, he's written this in a way to deconstruct a mindset that tries to find significance and satisfaction in this world without God. Okay? And there's lots of people that do this. They live their life trying to find their ultimate significance in their job. I'm going to be the most successful person I can be and give myself to my job. And to that he says, what, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What do you have? You know, he, he points us to the fact that one day we're going to die. Okay? And, and with, where, where's all that work going to go? Okay, now we'll talk about the hopeful side of this. But before I get to the hopeful side and try to bring resolve to the tension that the preacher, the Quovalet, sets before us, I want us to sit in the tension and feel the, the, the pain and the weight of, of his argument, of what he's expounding on. We live in a fallen, broken world where we see some really difficult things. 
And we can deny that. We can, we can pursue escapism and pretend like everything's okay in the world when it's not. Or we can acknowledge it and we can face it in a biblical, healthy way. All right? And so life under the sun is futile and fleeting, especially when we try to, to live it without God. Derek Kinder, the theologian, says that the function of Ecclesiastes is to bring us to the point where we begin to fear that such a comet, all is vanity, is the only honest one. So it is, if everything is dying, we face the appalling inference, the appalling inference that nothing has meaning, nothing matters under the sun. So I ask you again, church, does your life really matter? A couple months ago, I preached the sermon. Your life matters. Right? Your life matters. Right now, we have a movement. Black lives matter. Right? We have blue lives matter. All lives matter. Right? Does your life really matter? Let's wrestle with that question. And if your life really does matter, why? What gives it its significance? Is it what you do with your job? As long as you're successful on your job and you're effective and, and you're moving up and, you, and, 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 and everything looks good on your job, is that what gives significance to your life? Is it, is, the, is it the relationships that you have? Is it the stuff that you have, the toys that you have, the pleasures that you get to experience in this life? Okay? Solomon explores this life and helps, helps us see through his own life a man who had it all, a man who had success, a man who had wealth, a man who had wisdom, a man who had lots of relationships, way more than he should have had, way more wives than he should have had, all right? Okay, he had so much in this human experience, and yet he says it's all vanities. It's all nothing. You, you and I can t- heed the wisdom that he prints, presents before us and save ourselves from some pain. And instead of trying to go sow some wild oats, so to speak, and, and go try and just see what it's like out there in the world and live it up and enjoy the passing pleasures of sin under the sun, we can heed the wisdom that, that Ecclesiastes puts before us. Life under the sun. It's futile and fleeing. The way the New Testament says it in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For all that's of the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the, the, the Father, but of the world. And it's passing away. The world is passing away. It's fleeting. And the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God lives forever. Those who are living for the, the things of this world will find that it's like trying to grasp smoke. Like trying to grab a bubble. Okay? In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author invites us to come in and take a look at this messy world in which we live. Now, we, we, m- many of us like tidiness and cleanliness, especially in our homes. Some, some of us are clean freaks, alright? Okay? And when you have somebody come over to your house, you're going to clean up. That's me. I want to clean up. Now, not perfectionistly, but we're going to clean up. There's toys that need to be cleaned up, right? But in Ecclesiastes, he, the, the author invites us to come over to the house without the house being cleaned up. It's a mess. And he wants us to take a look at it and learn something about ourselves, about the world, and about God. 
as we take a look at the mess. Zach Swine said that in his book, Recovering Eden, the Gospel According to Ecclesiastes, he invites us to come take a look at the messy house and learn something from it. Um, the second thing here is life under the sun is monotonous. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, so he uses the, the, the metaphor of the sun, of wind, and of water. And just this circle of life. Kids, if uh, familiar with Lion King, the circle of life, right? Okay, there's, there's, these, there's these certain things that just repeat themselves in life that seem monotonous. Things that happen. The sun comes up every day. It rises and it goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Round it goes to the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea. So water, the, the water cycle, right? Uh, but the sea is not full. But the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear not filled with hearing. Just, just think about this. How many people, and even us, who are just in front of screens every day, YouTube, Netflix, Right Now Media, social media, and we're, we just scroll, we just watch, and the eye is not satisfied. You can watch for hours and scroll for hours. And the eye is not satisfied. Music, we listen to music. Music's great. We listen to music and the ear's not satisfied. All right? We just we, we, we find ourselves lacking, wanting to see more, wanting to hear more, wanting to, wanting to experience more. And so there's this reality of this monotonous that, that many of us experience, all of us experience in this life. It's just repetitive in some ways. Alright, so we got to face that. In the movie, The Groundhog Day, if, if you guys remember this movie, uh, Bill Murray, he wakes up every morning at 6 o'clock. And it's the same day, over and over again. And he tries to change it up. And he tries to find satisfaction. He tries to do some things different. But it's the same day, over and over again. And many folks feel like life is just like this. And they're just stuck on the treadmill of life. Okay? Uh, I used to run on the treadmill before COVID hit. I used to go to the gym, and I would run. I would go five miles. But actually, I wouldn't really run five miles. I would. I, I didn't run anywhere really. I stayed in the same place, and I and I just worked real hard running in the same place. Didn't go five miles. At least the the, the machine told me I went five miles. But I was in the same place, just going and going and going to get a workout. Many folks feel like this is what life is like. It's just. Just over and over, monotonous. The same thing. Maybe repackaged a little bit different. But there's nothing new under the sun. Alright? And so we see the monotony of life. We see the futility of life. The fleeting of, of life. And then we see the frustration of life. Life under the sun is frustrating. He says in verse 15, What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases in the message. He says, life's a corkscrew that can't be straightened. It's a minus that won't add up. Have you ever, uh, those of you trying to reconcile your bank account, try to just struggle to find out, like, why are the numbers not matching up? Have you ever had that dilemma, that frustrating dilemma? Like, okay, I wrote this check, I wrote this check. They're not matching up, Right? Or where did all the money go? Hey, who, 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 
uh, pay for that. Um, we're just expense show. We had some fraud recently. Somebody got a hold of my wife's card again. And we didn't pay for something in Phoenix, Arizona. Somebody else did. All right? And so thankfully, the, the credit card company caught that. Right? But, but, but in life, we face these frustrations. Our car breaks down. Okay? Our, our, um, our, our credit card gets stolen. We, we get a diagnosis from, from a doctor. There's a global pandemic. This year, 2020, has been like none other that I've ever seen. I mean, in, in, in many ways, and for, for, for all of us, there's been so many things in, in this year, this 2020, a year of vision, that have, our bubbles have been bursted. And we've been reminded and confronted with the reality that we are not in control of our future. But we can trust the God who does hold our future, our God. Who holds the future? Life is like a corkscrew that cannot be straightened. A minus that just won't add. Up. This is the frustration of the Genesis post-Genesis three world in which we live in. Now, remember in Genesis three, after Adam and Eve had sinned, they they disobeyed God, and God said there would be trouble. He said there would be death. He said there would be a consequence if they disobeyed. He said this. God says, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. So thorns and thistles, that's frustrating. Anybody uh, done any gardening around your house and had to work with thorns and thistles and clear out some 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 uh, some plants and weeds in your in your yard? It's it's, it's frustrating. Okay, uh, he says uh, he says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. There's toil there. There's frustrating work involved in this life. Now work itself is not a curse. God God prescribe work for mankind before they sin. Okay, work work is a is a God-given, it's a blessing, it's something to be enjoyed. But a part of the fall, part of the, the experience the consequences of humanity's sin is the reality that work is hard. Work is frustrating. Life life feels monotonous and work feels monotonous at times, right? Uh, when you go in on Monday morning, or or those of you uh, uh, moms at home or dads at home uh, cleaning up toys after your kids with little kids, right? It's like the toys just keep coming back out, all right. Or if you got little ones not potty trained yet, the diapers just you, there, there's another dirty diaper that needs to be changed. Or all of us, the dishes, the dishes we we have the dishes again. The sink is full of dirty dishes, and here we go again. Time to wash the dishes. All right, it's time to take out the trash again. I just took out the trash this morning. All right, there's this monotony and this frustration involved with life under the sun, and it's a part of living in a post-Genesis three world. Do you feel the tension of that, saints? Do you feel the tension of that? Now, thankfully, that the Bible doesn't just leave us here. Thankfully, Ecclesiastes and Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. It's not the completion of our biblical worldview. It's a part of the story, and it's an important part that sets us up to receive the good news that is coming. Okay? 
and it helps us make some sense of the brokenness of this world and put things in proper place and have some idea why it is like it is. Okay? So, the, the author of Ecclesiastes asked this question. He says, <clears throat> he says what are, he, he mentions, excuse me, verse 9 through 11, he says, what has been will be, and what has been done is done, and there is nothing new under the sun. There's, if, is there anything of which I said, see, this is new? It already has. It has been already in the ages before us. And there is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of the things later and yet to be among those who come after. Um, just real quick. How many of you guys remember something about your great-great-grandparents? How many of you remember your great-great-grandparents' name? Raise your hand. Your great-great-grandparents' names. Okay, how many of you remember something about them, specifically? Okay, how about your great-great-great-grandparents? How many of you remember them or you know their name? Right? Okay, just just a highlight here. In, in this human experience, we tend to forget. We come and go and we forget. And there's nothing new under the sun. But praise God, the gospel provides us with some hope that it doesn't just leave us here. Okay? Because there is a new covenant that Jesus came and he established with his blood. Okay? And, and, and he, he says, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, all things are new. All right, we're told in, in, in Ephesians four to put on the new self. All right, we're told in Revelation twenty one that Jesus is going to make all things new. All right, and so we live in this tension. We live in a post Genesis three world, but we also live in a time after which Jesus has inaugurated His kingdom, established His covenant. And we're not left with utter despair and insignificance. And we're not left with no satisfaction in this world at all. Because Christ has come. Christ is the answer to the preacher's enigma. To his um, riddle that he presents. He presents death and he presents this problem of life being vanity, being meaningless, or being futile and fleeting. But then Jesus comes. And he said, I've come to, to, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so your life matters. Your life matters for various reasons. Okay, uh, here's some gospel hope from, from Romans chapter 8 that I want you to consider. As you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, as, as you're wrestling through some of these difficult sayings, remember that Ecclesiastes isn't the end of the story, of God's big story, right? So it's an important part of it. But in Romans 8.20, Paul said, For creation was subjected to futility. Okay? That's the same in, in the Old Testament. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's the same word translated. Um, hevel. Okay? Uh, the Greek word translated in the Old Testament is, is the same word here. Futility that Paul uses. Um, not, And it was subjected not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. This You hear within this book the groan. And you identify, in reading this book, you identify with the groan, like things are not like they're supposed to be, and things are not going to always stay like this. Now, if you're only looking at life under the sun, S-U-N, then you you may have no hope. But when you're in the S-O-N, the Son of God, and you see life from a bigger perspective, the great narrative story of the gospel, you have hope. You can accept the realism that Ecclesiastes presents us with, but you can live life with hope and optimism because you know that the best is yet to come. All right, and we live within this tension of the already, not yet. The kingdom has come. Jesus has inaugurated. He has made us new. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. But this isn't it yet. Until he comes back, when he comes back, we're going to see him make all things new. We're going to see the fullness of his kingdom. And so the the author of Ecclesiastes, he, he leads us to the very end here and he says the end of the matter has been heard fear God and keep his commandments this is where he brings us he doesn't result to atheism looking at life and being discouraged by the post Genesis 3 world and he doesn't conclude there's no God if there was a God he wouldn't let all this happen no he comes to the conclusion remember your creator enjoy the gifts of God uh, from your creator but, but fear him, keep his commandments, for this is man's whole, this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here's why, here's some reasons why your life matters, saints. I want you to be able to answer that question. I want you to know why your life matters. Okay? We have a creator who has made us with purpose. He's made us in his image. He put us here. He designed us here. And we reflect His glory, His beauty in this world. We will give an account to our God, to our Creator. So life matters. How you live life here matters. Because one day, you and I are going to stand before the Almighty and give an account for our lives. And we will spend an eternity, eternity forever with God. Ecclesiastes tells us that he he has put eternity in our hearts. Okay? The New Testament tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, our toil does not have to be in vain. When we're in Christ Jesus, our toil is not in vain. Our, Our labor in him is not in vain because Christ is risen from the dead. If, if we only have hope in this life, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're the most pitiful people on the face of the planet. But if Christ is risen, that means we're going to rise with him and there are rewards. He will reward us. He will, we will be resurrected and have life eternal and we will be rewarded for how we've lived here on this earth. So your life matters. How you live matters. 
So don't just throw in the towel. Don't just give in. As many are struggling with mental health and depression and discouragement and hope and purpose in this pandemic season, you can know that your life matters. And you can know that not by sticking your head in the sand or, and closing your eyes and just ignoring the brokenness of this world, ignoring your own struggles and your own frustrations. You can face the reality, but you can face it with hope, saints, because Christ is risen. And because he lives... We can live also. We will live also. Haddon Robinson, the great preacher, said this. He said, in a meaningless life, quote, meaningless life, you can trust the sovereign, good, righteous God, believing that God is sovereign, allows us to live with the mystery. Trusting that God is good allows us to live with enjoyment. Knowing that God is, is just allows us to live responsibly. God does not give us all the answers, but he gives us himself. I read this last week, J.I. Packer said, what makes life worthwhile is a big enough objective. Something which catches our imagination, lays a hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Amen? And so I close with just a couple of points of application this morning. Fear God and obey Him. This is where the, the author of Ecclesiastes brings us to over and over. Fear God. Fear God. Reverence Him. Enjoy the gifts in life as being from God. Enjoy the gifts of a good cup of coffee or a good meal with your family. Enjoy that as being a gift of God. A beautiful day. Give up trying to control and comprehend the things that are beyond you and I. There are certain things that are mystery. There are certain things, many things that are out of our control. We are not sovereign. God is. And there's a peace and a rest that can come to us, a contentment that can come to us when we relinquish control to the Almighty and we trust that our lives are in His hands. And lastly, heed the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and spare yourself some pain instead of having naive expectations for what this life holds. It receives the dose of realism that it gives you. But receive it with hope. If you guys would stand with me. We're going to respond in praying together a couple psalms here. I, we can get those psalms. Psalm 37 or 39, 4 through 7. And let's make this our prayer. Pray this together. O oh Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me to know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few dim breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Say look. Surely a man goes down as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 90, verse 12. Let's pray this together. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom.